Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I have never read someone else's message or sermon on a Sunday ever. I've been doing this 24 years, I think. And this morning, I'm going to stick to the plan that was last week. We were snowed out last Sunday. Uh, for the last couple of years since we started here at Light Ridge, coming out of COVID, we have recognized not just the man Martin Luther King Jr. in the week of, of MLK uh, Monday, but we've allowed something of his life to kind of inspire us or challenge us in the way of Jesus. And so this year, rather than do that the Sunday before Martin Luther King Day, we were going to do that the Sunday after, which was last Sunday, and we were snowed out. So I'm sticking to the plan. I talked to some of you and said, yes, let's still do this because it's relevant to what we're talking about in the series, Closer Than You Think. So if you're thinking right now political filter, like we've all been trained to do, just get rid of that right now. If you're thinking, where was Martin Luther King Jr. politically? That's irrelevant to what we're about to look at. And if this feels a little bit like, oh, this is kind of paying homage to someone in our history, just set that aside as well. There's something about this man's conviction and words and modeling that I want to put in front of us today because it's so relevant to what we're looking at, what we're considering, what we're taking in is the truth of Jesus for all of our lives and what it looks like for God to be closer than we could imagine, closer than maybe you thought possible. This is a sermon preached on April 9th, 1967, a year to the week before his death. This was in Chicago at New Covenant Baptist Church. I'm not going to read the whole sermon, but I'm going to read the first good 10 to 12, maybe 14 minutes of this, because, again, it sets up so well, not just what we believe, but an interview that I'm going to conduct here in just a few minutes. Okay. Martin Luther King Jr. began by saying, I want to use as the subject from which to preach the three dimensions of a complete life. And we're going to have portions of this on the, on the screen behind me here. We didn't want to put the whole sermon on the on the screen, but you'll see portions as we go along. The three dimensions of a complete life. You know, they used to tell us in Hollywood that in order for a movie to be complete, it had to be three-dimensional. Well, this morning, I want to speak, I want to seek to get over to each of us that if life itself is to be complete, it must be three-dimensional. He goes on to say, many, many centuries ago, there was a man by the name of John who found himself in prison out on a lonely, obscure island called Patmos. And I've been in prison just enough to know that it's a lonely experience. And when you are incarcerated in such a situation, you are deprived of almost every freedom, but the freedom to think, the freedom to pray, the freedom to reflect and to meditate. And while John was out on this lonely island in prison, he lifted up his vision to high heaven, and he saw descending out of heaven a new heaven and a new earth. Over in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, it opens by saying, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. And I just want to pause here and say this is very important language in Scripture, important to us here at Dulles. We spent part of our summer last year talking about this vision. It's Eden vision. This is Eden language. 
the last chapters of Scripture in the New Testament in Revelation are describing Jesus restoring, renewing the world back to its original intent, back to Eden. And this is now describing the Garden City. This place of impeccable, indescribable creative beauty. And I love that Martin Luther King Jr. shared this passion and this longing. He goes on to say, And one of the greatest glories of this new city of God that John saw was its completeness. It was not up on one side and down on the other, but it was complete in all three of its dimensions. And so this same chapter of Revelation, as we look down to verse 16, John says the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. In other words, this new city of God, this new city of ideal humanity, is not an unbalanced entity, but it is complete on all sides. Now, I think John is saying something here in all of the symbolism of this text, all the symbolism of this chapter. He's saying at the bottom that life as it should be and life at its best is a life that is complete on all sides. We continue with another portion I think you'll see here. And there are three dimensions of any complete life to which we can fitly give the words of this text. Length, breadth, and height. Now the length of life, as we shall use it here, is the inward concern for one's own welfare. In other words, it is that inward concern that causes one to push forward to achieve his own goals and ambitions. The breadth of life, as we will use it, is the outward concern for the welfare of others. And the height of life is the upward reach for God. Now, you've got to have all three to have a complete life. Now, let's turn for the moment to the length of life. I said that this is the dimension of life where we are concerned with the developing of our inner powers. In a sense, this is the selfish dimension of life. There is such a thing as rational and healthy self-interest. I love his wording here. A great Jewish rabbi, the late Joshua Liebman, wrote a book some years ago entitled Peace of Mind. And he has a chapter in that book entitled Love Thyself Properly. And what he says in that chapter is, in substance, that before you can love other selves adequately, you've got to love your own self properly. You know, a lot of people don't love themselves. And they go through life with deep and haunting emotional conflicts. So the length of life means you must love yourself. And you know what loving yourself also means? It also means that you've got to accept yourself. So many people are busy trying to be somebody else. God gave us all something significant. And we must pray every day asking God to help us accept ourselves. That means everything. We've got to accept who we are. And we must pray, Lord, help me to accept myself every day. Help me to accept my tools. I remember... Martin Luther King Jr. says, I remember when I was in college, I majored in sociology. And all sociology majors had to take a course that was required called statistics. And statistics can be very complicated. You've got to have a mathematical mind, a real knowledge of geometry, and you've got to know how to find the mean, the mode, and the median. I never will forget, I took this course and I had a fellow classmate who could just work all that stuff out. You know, he could just work it out and do his homework in about an hour. We would often go to the lab or the workshop, and he would just work it out really quickly, and he was done in about an hour. I was trying to do what he was doing. I was trying to do mine in the same length of time, in an hour. And the more I tried to do it in an hour, the more I was flunking out in the course. And I had to come to a very, very hard conclusion. I had to sit down and say, now Martin Luther King, Leaf Kane has a better mind than you. Sometimes you have to acknowledge this. 
And I had to say to myself, now he may be able to do it in an hour, but it takes me two or three hours to do it. I was not willing to accept myself. I was not willing to accept my tools and my limitations. But you know, in life, we're called upon to do this. A Ford trying to be a Cadillac is absurd. But if a Ford will accept itself for a Ford, it can do many things that a Cadillac could never do. It can get into parking spaces that a Cadillac can never get in. And in life, some of us are Fords and some of us are Cadillacs. The principle of self-acceptance is a basic principle in life. Now, the other thing about the length of life, after accepting ourselves and our tools, we must discover what we're called to do. And once we discover it, we should set out to do it with all of the strength and all the power that we have in our systems. And after we've discovered what God has called us to do, after we've discovered our life's work, we should set out to do that work so well that the living and the dead or the unborn couldn't do it any better. Now, this does not mean that everybody will do the so-called big recognized things. Very few people will rise to the heights of genius and the arts and the sciences. Very few collectively will rise to certain professions. Most of us will have to We'll have to be content to work in the fields, or in the factories, or on the streets. But we must see the dignity of all labor. When I was in Montgomery, Alabama, I went to a shoe shop quite often, known as the Gordon Shoe Shop. And there was this fellow in there that used to shine my shoes. And it was just an experience to witness this fellow shining my shoes. This is really humbling for me, by the way, to be reading these words. I even questioned if I to try to stand up here and read the words of Martin Luther King. It's, it's remarkable to hear these personal stories from Alabama, the shoe shop in Georgia. There was this fellow, he would shine my shoes. He would get that rag and, you know, he would bring music out of it. And I said to myself, this fellow has a PhD in shoe shining. What I'm saying to you this morning, my friends, even if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, go out and sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Handel and Beethoven comp composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job so well. Okay, now we come to the part of this sermon that is so just poignant for what we're considering right now in this series and what we're going to talk about here in just a moment when I have Alton come join me for this interview. This onward push to the end of self-fulfillment is the end of a person's life. Now, don't stop here, though. You know, a lot of people get f no further in life than the length. They develop their inner powers. They do their jobs well. But, you know, they try to live as if nobody else lives in the world but themselves. And they use everybody as mere tools to get where they're going. They don't love anybody but themselves. And the only kind of love that they really have for other people is utilitarian love. You know, they just love people that they can use. A lot of people never get beyond the first dimension of life. They use other people as mere steps by which they can climb to their own goals and their own ambitions. These people don't work out well in life. They may go, it may go well for a while. They may think that they're making it all right, but there's this law. They call it the law of gravitation in the physical universe, and it works. It's final. It's inexorable. Whatever goes up can come down. You shall reap what you sow. God has structured the universe that way, and he who goes through life not concerned about others will be a subject, a victim of this law. So I move on and say that it is necessary to add the breadth 
to length. Now, the breadth of life is the outward concern for the welfare of others. And a man has not begun to live until he can rise above the narrow confines of his own individual concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. One day, Jesus told a parable. You will remember that parable. He had a man that came to him to talk about some very important, profound concerns. And they finally got around to the question, who is my neighbor? As the man asked Jesus. And this man wanted to debate with Jesus. This question could have easily ended up in thin air as a theological or philosophical debate. But remember Jesus immediately pulled that question out of thin air and placed it on the dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. He talked about a certain man who fell among thieves. Two men came by and they just kept going. And they finally, finally came another man, a member of another race, who stopped and helped the broken, hurting man. And that parable ends up saying that this good Samaritan was a great man. He was a good man because he was concerned more than, about more than himself. Now, you know, there are many ideals about why the priest and the Levite saw the broken man and just passed by. A lot of ideas about it. Some say that they were going to a church service and they were running a little late to get to church. And, you know, they couldn't be late for church, so they kept going because they had to get down to the synagogue. And Martin Luther King Jr. says, that's a possibility. But you know, when I think about this parable, I think of another possibility as I use my own imagination. It's possible that these men passed by on the other side because they were afraid. Man, this is remarkable hearing this man speak to this the way he does here. It's possible that these men passed by on the other side because they were afraid. You know, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. I've been on it, and I know. I will never forget, Mrs. King and I were in the Holy Land some time ago. We rented a car, and we drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho, a distance of about 16 miles. You get on that road, that Jericho Road, and I'm telling you, it's winding, and it's a curving, meandering road, very conducive for robbery. And this is well known uh, in church history scholarship, biblical scholarship. This was a very dangerous road. And I've heard pastors, and I've taught this before about the Jericho Road. And I said to my wife, now, I can see why Jesus used this road as the occasion for this parable. Here you are, and you start out in Jerusalem, 2,200 feet above sea level, and when you get down to Jericho, 16 miles later, I mean, you've, I mean, you have 16 miles from Jerusalem, you're 1,200 miles below sea level, 1,200 feet below sea level. During the days of Jesus, that road came to be known as the bloody path. So when I think about the priest and the Levite, I think those brothers were afraid. They were just like me. I was going out of my father's house in Atlanta just the other day. He lives about three or four miles from me. And you go out there by, the, by going down Simpson Road. And then when I came to the, back later that night, and brother, I can tell you Simpson Road is a winding road, this fellow was standing out there trying to flag me down. And I felt that maybe he needed some help. Actually, I knew he needed some help. And I'll be honest with you, I kept going. I wasn't, really, I wasn't really willing to take the risk. And I say to you this morning that this first question that the priest asked was the first question that I asked on that Jericho Road of Atlanta known as Simpson Road. The first question that the Levite asked is, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. Not what will happen to me if I stop to help this man. 
But what will happen to this man if I do not stop to help him? This is why that man was such a good and great man. He was great because he was willing to take a risk for humanity. He was willing to ask what will happen to this man, not what will happen to me. This is what God needs today, men and women who will ask what will happen to humanity if I don't help. Oh, there will be a day, he says. The question won't be, how many awards did you get in life? Sorry, Chris, no offense to your four-foot steel wrench. How many awards did you get in life? Not that day. It won't be how popular were you in your social setting. That won't be the question that day. It will not, you will not be asked how many degrees you've been able to get. The question that day will not be concerned with whether you achieved a PhD. It will not be concerned with whether you went to Morehouse or whether you went to no house. The question that day will not be how beautiful is your house. The question that day will not be how much money did you accumulate? How many, did you, how many stocks and bonds did you have? What, the question of the day, that day will not be what kind of automobile did you have? On that day, the question will be what did you do for others? Now, I can hear someone saying, Lord, I did a lot of things in life. I did my job well. The world honored me for doing my job. I did a lot of things, Lord. I went to school. I studied hard. I accumulated a lot of money. Lord, that's, that's what I did. It seems as if I can hear the Lord of life saying, but I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was sick. You didn't visit me. I was naked. You didn't give me clothes. I was in prison. You weren't concerned about me. So, <laughs> and he says, so get out of my face as he's quoting God here. What did you do for others? This is the breadth of life. Somewhere along the way, we must learn that there is nothing greater than doing something for others. And this is the way I've decided to go the rest of my days. This is one year before his death. And then he, then he turns in his sermon to some friends that were there in Chicago that day. And he says, I recently, to some of my friends that are here, made this request. I don't want a long funeral. In fact, I don't even need a eulogy, more than maybe just a minute or two. I hope that I will live so well the rest of my days. I don't know how long I'll live, and I'm not concerned about that, but I hope that I can live so well that the preacher can get up and say he was faithful. That's all. That's enough. That's the sermon I'd like to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You've been concerned about others. That's where I want to go from this point on the rest of my days. He who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. I want to be a servant. I want to be a witness for my Lord to do something for others. Now, his sermon goes on and he focuses on the third dimension, which is reaching up for God. If we try to do any of these things for ourselves or others without the connection, without the leading of God's spirit, it's all futile. For the sake of time and really for the sake of our focus, I want to stop here. This challenge to think and to ask, not what will happen to me. And listen, we need to be wise. We need to use wisdom. There are times where the Holy Spirit actually says, be cautious here. Someone asked me this week, I was actually reading part of this to, to a couple of, couple of you. And someone said, but aren't there times where... You actually need to be careful and maybe roll up the windows. And yes, and I believe the Holy Spirit will sometimes tell you, uh, don't stop, Brad, keep going. We need to use wisdom. But I think 
I think we often hide behind that too much. And we allow the prevailing question to be, what would happen to me? What would happen to me? What would happen to my bank account? What would happen to my resources, my time? Instead of asking, what will happen to, to him or to her or to humanity if I don't do something? So I'm going to invite Alton. Almost all of you know Alton. He's one of our directional leaders here at Dulles. Our church would not work and would not happen without Alton Bryant. And I get to interview Alton here for a few minutes about a project that really began as a passion project for you personally. And now it's a passion project of ours here at Dulles. Um, so go ahead and grab a seat. I'm just, love you, buddy. I'm just proud of what you do and the way you love people so well. You model what we're talking about today. Um, and I, I just want to say first that it's amazing to me that in God coming close, in God coming close to us, so many people ask me, Brad, Brad why do I just feel that I just try and I, I pray sometimes? I just don't feel like God is close. It, it's so often that God comes close to us through other people. It's always been his plan from Eden to selecting Moses to calling a nation to be a blessing to all the other nations to show God's reality, which was, the, was supposed to be the point of Israel, to now the church. God's plan has always been, I am going to use people who image me. I'm just going to, and I'm going to be patient. And if a generation says no, I'll wait for the next generation. Uh, he is waiting to use you and me. There are people in our lives, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, where we want to see God prove himself to them, and God wants to prove himself to them through you, through you and me. And so I just thought these words were so poignant and so appropriate for this conversation we're going to have. Okay, we put in front of us as a church... Many different ways to serve the community, to serve people in need, individuals. Um, sometimes we serve people anonymously. Uh, you have become part of an organization called Reset 180. Right. Tell, us, tell us what Reset 180 is and where, where is it? Uh, Reset 180 is based out of uh, Reston, Virginia. Um, it's an anti-human trafficking organization, mainly focused on um, sex trafficking of women. Um, we also work with men, but 99.8% of people being trafficked are women um, and girls. And uh, we're the only organization in the world that uh, has an arm of prevention, disruption, and restoration. So in prevention, I'm actually the awareness coordinator, so I put on a lot of events to uh, bring awareness to the community so that people can protect themselves and their families and their communities. Uh, we have a disruption arm where we go out and we actually go to the businesses, and we also pray. Uh, and, and those outreaches with the businesses, um, I, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And we also restore the women. We have a um, wraparound case management system where we help the survivors with anything they need, emergency services, health care, mental health care, housing, uh, child care, whatever they need. So we, we work with a lot of the survivors of sex trafficking. Okay, now, for those, I know we, we have some that are first time here this morning. Uh, maybe the subject, maybe you're not new, but the subject is new to you, or you're like, well, I'm, I thought we were in church. Oh, my gosh, you've said the S word here a few times already. And, you know, this can maybe feel awkward. This, um, this has just become a focal point for us here. These are very real people, and they're closer than we thought. They're closer than I thought. 
And we believe God wants his church to be closer to these victims than I, I, I would have imagined. So some years ago, when you and I started talking about this at lunch, I just, and I, you know, I'm admitting here my ignorance, you know, this was, a, I think, just before COVID. Uh, I, I thought you were talking about something in Asia or certain parts of the world. I just, you know, and you were like, Brad, listen to what I'm learning about Northern Virginia. So this is a problem here. This isn't like a missional organization in Reston that's helping other parts of the world. We're, we're talking about victims right here in Northern Virginia. We are. And um, in fact, the first um, time I heard about what's happening here, it, I heard a story about a girl who attended Freedom High School. And I had a child at Freedom High School, a female child at Freedom High School at the same time. And there was no way I could just uh, listen to that and not step into it this mess of uh, sex trafficking. It's just, it is a mess and it's, it's terrible, but there, there is hope. And that's, that's what Reset 180 is all about. I've learned a lot about this, you know, in these recent years. And then at the end of Sound of Freedom, the movie that just, uh, Jim Caviezel movie that, that was wildly popular back in the fall about human trafficking. Uh, the movie ends with the statement on the screen that there is more, because of human trafficking today, there's more slavery today, more enslaved humans today than at any point in human history. And Alton, when, when you first told me that, and then I started reading, I was just shocked that there's more slavery today. All right, that's true, right? That is a true statement, yeah, and, and America is the largest consumer of human trafficking. Uh, sadly, it is. And, okay, yeah, I was gonna show you this uh, heat map of, uh, from the National Human Trafficking Hotline, and this shows where calls uh, based on human trafficking happen. Uh, notice Virginia is so red, uh, especially Northern Virginia, the whole DMV area, uh, the coastal areas, the, uh, the large airports. That's where we have most human trafficking. And Northern Virginia is not immune from that. And um, in fact, later today, I, I'm gonna go give a tour, uh, two tours, uh, a van tours where we show people exactly where it's happening in their community. Okay, so when that conversation started, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think through the eyes and ears of those here um, listening to this this morning. When, when, when I first heard Chantilly, Virginia, or I heard of a, there was a bust or the police raided a place in Tyson's Corner or a school in Loudoun County, I was just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this fiction? Is this real? This is very real. When you give van tours, and you just did with four or five of our members here? Yeah, about five of us went. Um, and we, we did a van tour of Chantilly. We have a map of the tour route that I took uh, everyone on. And it, um, it, the, the feedback I get, well, we, we started at Freedom because I wanted to tell the story about the girl I heard about. But this is the, tour, the, the route that we took. There are, like, there are six IMBs, which are illicit massage businesses, where girls are being trafficked, mostly from Asia. and. Um, uh, and during this tour, I showed the, uh, the people who came with me where um, it was happening. And it was happening at the time we were out there, riding in the car. And the feedback I got is shocking, a lot, but we need to know this. Everybody needs to know this. And, and uh, they were shocked that it was happening right next to restaurants that they used to eat at, or that they do eat at, and, and, and businesses that they frequent. And um, one thing I will say, that wasn't all women. And we have a team here of all women. I work in an office. I'm the only male, all women. Dudes, we need to step up. Uh, we need more men involved in this. We need um, 
When we go out to these places, sometimes we have an outreach called the Sex Buyer Outreach. We talk to the men who are going in to purchase this, uh, ser these services. And most of them don't know that the women are being trafficked. So we go out there and let them know the majority of the time the guys do not go in. We need more men helping us with that outreach. And again, just thinking through maybe those who are hearing something like this for the first time, that sounds, you know, I, I'm thinking government agents should go to these places or, you know, what, what, this is a nonprofit. Reset 180 is a nonprofit. Like the police will go. When you were talking about your first few visits, you would sit in the parking lot and pray, and then you actually approach some men, some buyers that were coming in. This is done, the training is, is really, really good. We will train. It's very well organized. The police, government, uh, support Reset 180. Right. There's a great relationship with local police. Right. Okay, so this isn't just a haphazard. No, like and don't do this on your own, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, we will train you, we will help you through it, and we work with the police when we do this. It's, you're not confronting, this isn't argumentative, you're, you're really providing men information. Yeah, and we also, uh, when we talk to them, we give them uh, information about how to um, uh, help if they have sex addiction and, and give them resources for, uh, and we give them Bibles as well. We pray with them if they allow us to. So um, it, it's very casual uh, the first couple of times. Yes, you'll be, nerv you'll, you'll be nervous, and I was nerve-wracked my first couple of times. But once you, the more you do it, uh, you just realize these guys are uh, just guys, and, and, and they're willing to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of other ways to serve. You don't have to get in a car and go you know, no, to no, a parking lot. No, we have lot many, and, okay. many opportunities. And we'll talk about that, right. yeah. What, who's vulnerable to human trafficking? Well, we have a list of uh, vulnerabilities up here. Um, people under 18, low self-esteem. And, and this list is the sex traffickers know these things and they look for people with these vulnerabilities and they, they, they absolutely use it to their advantage. And uh, one thing I've learned, I, I, I know a lot of the survivors and uh, yes, they, they meet all of these um, vulnerabilities, but after they go through the restoration process with Reset 180, this change in their lives is remarkable. I've, I've seen them go on to get their uh, education, get GEDs, start college, uh, get great jobs. And, and they couldn't have done it, you know, without Reset 180. And I'm just so proud of this organization for that. And Reset 180 is Christ-centered. It's really a Christ-centered organization. Uh, every morning we pray at 930 as a team because the stuff we do is hard. Uh, and, and that's the uh, team of people in the office. Uh, we pray as a team because so, so God can help us through our day because every day is tough when you're in that office. But uh, we have many, many ways that you can volunteer. And uh, uh, it, just as simple as prayer, I think you're going to go through a list of those things. Yeah, and we can do that now. Um, our band's going to come in a moment here, but just before we wrap up, um, this may be something right now you sense the Holy Spirit pulling you, drawing you to learn, research, ask questions more about this topic. You might be sitting here like, what in the world? I did not expect this today. I can't imagine this being a step that I take, at least right now. There are a lot of ways to serve here at Dulles. One, you, a, a first step for you may be collecting chili kits in the grocery store. We have one more week to do this. Next Sunday is our, our collection deadline date for neighbors who may be going hungry right now. 
Uh, we have ways to serve around the church. There are other ways. We provide clothing uh, and food resourcing here in the community. But we really want you to think about possibly stepping into this space with us as we feel that God has not left these women, these victims alone, and we just want God to wave a magic wand and fix the world. When you read scripture, when you read God's plan, his strategy, he's choosing to use people. People that are imaging him, people that are speaking with his empathy and love and care and compassion. And a lot of, and I've said this a while ago, a lot of history are generations saying no to God and God waits. He waits for the next someone who will say yes. And so I'm thanking you, Alton, for leading the way on this. You have personally influenced me in, in this way, and uh, this is something we take seriously here at Dulles. So let's finish with a few ways people can get involved. One is prayer, joining the actual Reset 180 prayer team. Yes, we have a prayer team, uh, and we, we will inform people on that team what is going on that day, and we ask people to pray for us. We ask people to pray for events. We ask people to pray for outreaches. And uh, we do. We have a prayer channel just for that. Another way uh, really isn't anything active other than just showing up to something new. This may be a first step for you. You are about to, in Stone Ridge, uh, teach a workshop on Reset 180 and human trafficking. Right. It'll be, a, it'll be similar to what we just talked about, but a whole lot more detail, a whole lot more education about uh, local trafficking and um, what we can do um, to, uh, to help. And, and that's this week? That's this Wednesday at uh, 6.30 at the Stone Ridge Clubhouse. Okay. And then the van tours that you mentioned. This is something that if, if someone wants to just sit in a van and just see and talk and ask questions like this place, trafficking is happening inside that place, and then can kind of process that. That's, that's something you offer. That's exactly right. And I'll be doing two of those in Sterling today, actually. Um, and, yeah, they, um, they, they, people are generally surprised when they learn what's going on in their community. And the important part about the getting awareness is preventing it from happening to someone you love. Uh, so Wednesday, I'll be talking about how to, uh, to spot indicators of people who are trafficked, people who are being trafficked, and people who do the trafficking, uh, just so you can get a little more information and you can make tips, you can help your friends, your family. Okay, there are other ways that people can actually volunteer in the rest of the office if needed. You have a table here this morning I do in have the lobby. Table. Just stop by and chat with Alton if you have any questions. If you're like, wait a minute, well, what, high school students, what does that mean? You know, uh, you're going to be here. You're going to continue Wednesday night with the longer workshop. Uh, I love you and I love your heart. And I'm telling you, so many people here model Jesus so well. I, I can't tell you how proud I am to be part of a church that goes out of the doors on Sunday morning intent on reflecting and imaging and speaking on behalf of the love of our God and, and empowered with his love. And let me just offer this. We're both directional leaders here at Dulles. Uh, if you, I'm going to say it this way, just as kind of a clarifying of who we are and where we're headed. If you, if you are just wanting our church or you're looking for a church that, would just simply do just more talk and teachings and information about God, this might not be the church for you. If you're looking for a place that's going to study and, and teach and focus on who Jesus is, and then on Jesus' primary call to us that we actually practice, we actually practice the love of Jesus in our world, 
this is probably the church for you. Uh, and that's why we're going to pause, and I'm not going to do a regular message some Sundays, and we're going to talk about needs in the community because we really take this seriously. So we just invite you, explore, look for ways to serve here in the church or talk to Alton or talk to one of our Connections team members about ways that you can help people in need. And I'm telling you, God will be, you will see evidence in your life as a result of that step of God being closer than you thought because he's just looking for more people to say yes. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite our band to come. They're going to close us in worship. Just stay with me here as I lead us in our January daily prayer. And again, a reminder, our, our, our monthly daily prayer. Every month we have a new daily prayer that we're leading us in here at Dulles. This can be found on our mobile app. If you download Dulles Church, uh, the Dulles Church mobile app, you can find this every day, and this can be a source of really just kind of how to start your day. If you don't know how to start your day with God, maybe begin with, with this prayer. So let's pray this one last time in January as our daily prayer to God. Jesus, your priority for me is that I would love you with every part of my life, with my heart, my soul, mind, and strength. I join my church community this month, allowing this value to engulf me. Help me to learn and grow to love you with my time, my thoughts, my plans, resources, my hobbies, and with my energy. And joined to this priority is that I would love my neighbor just as I would care for my own life. Jesus, may your closeness in my life affect the people around me. Make me interruptible. Make me empathetic so that I can offer your love to others every week, every day. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing your kingdom closer to me than I could ever have imagined. Amen.